Warning, this episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. up and welcome to whiskey sex talk i am your host romeo and i'm your co-host maria she survived sexual assault and is the author of beyond survival reclaiming my life after i survived rape her mission is to share her story on college campuses women's conferences and law enforcement conferences her testimony is about going from merely existing to being able to help others with courage and conviction so those who have survived sexual assault will know living an abundant life is possible, and so those who love them and those who minister to them will understand the survivor's heart. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Well, thank you so much for having me here. Th- Amanda, Thanks I- for joining us. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really... Um, Really, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and, and really uh, I'm excited for you to share your story. Um, normally, how this goes is I normally ask our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. But in this case, I actually want to ask you to tell us a little bit about, to tell us what was going on in your life before the the sexual assault. Yeah, um, I think it's just the biggest thing is that I was attending university. I was getting my bachelor's degree in secondary education in English. I was in my um, fourth year. And so just presumably in the home stretch, um, I was an active member in my sorority. Uh, and I was teaching preschool at the time to pay for my college. And I was dating a man who is actually now my husband, which is a big part of my story as well. And, um, you know, I just, I was a typical 22 year old with a lot of life ahead of me. And I was enjoying the life that I was being given as it was coming. And, um, was just excited to get into adulthood and to continue to grow into who I was becoming. Now, um, you were sexually assaulted. Can you tell us exactly what happened Yeah. um, So for me, my case is atypical in that I didn't know my attacker. I was leaving. It was during midterms in the fall of my fourth year of college. And it was 10 o'clock at night. um, And getting out that late was not abnormal because as at the University of Nevada, Reno, as you get higher into your education classes, they subcontract out to teachers in the area. And so a lot uh, to accommodate their schedules because they're working their normal teaching jobs, our classes were later in the evening. And um, so I finished my midterm and it had been ingrained in me growing up that there was safety in numbers. So I left with a group of people who had also parked in the same parking garage as myself. And we had all parked in the parking garage that was just directly across the way because it was presumably safer to park there than it was to park on off-campus parking going to our vehicles that late at night. 
And as we approached the parking garage, it we figured out, you know, I was the only one that had parked on the ground floor. And so I surveyed the area and didn't see anything between myself and my vehicle. And so I wished the group a good a good week, told them I would see them at the next class. They started going up to where their vehicles were and I made my way to my car. And shortly thereafter, it became abundantly clear to me that what I had not seen was a man that was touched behind the wheel well of a truck in between this truck and a sedan. And he overtook me from behind, um, forced me down to the pavement and placed a a pistol at my temple. And then he brutally raped me in the parking garage. Um, I was on the same floor that the university campus police parked their cruisers and I was less than 50 feet away from the campus police office. Um, I would later learn that, um, well, I guess like he, he went on to kidnap and rape his second victim and then he raped and murdered his third and last known victim. Wow. Um, few short months after my attack. So this happened in a public parking lot on campus near the mm-hmm. police station. You were assaulted and then he moved on to his next victim, a couple of other victims, and one, I believe you said he murdered one. No yeah. one knew who he was. He what Was he a student? Normally, I want to say, because I remember in, in, in college, I had a friend who was assaulted, meaning she was beaten. But I remember it was late at night. She left the main stacks and she walked. And then, you know, they tell us group and, you know, walking groups, don't walk by yourself. And she was assaulted. It was, it turned out later on that it was somebody that lived, I think it was an ex student that was just still there on near, you know, living in Berkeley and, uh, and that and whatnot. And that's why I was asking because I was, I was curious to know if this guy that, that committed these, uh, these assaults, was he a student, did he live in the area, or was he, I mean, what, what was, was there any connection between the victims? Um, the only connection between the victims was just that we all were similar in appearance. We were petite <laughs> um, and had brunette hair, but it, it was really, he was a construction worker at the time the university was undergoing a lot of construction. They were building new buildings and expanding and he was a pipe fitter. And so that's why he was even on the city. Um, but a lot of the people in the community, because Reno is so, they call it the biggest littlest city in the world. Um, and so a lot of people knew him, but a lot of people, when it came out that he was responsible, were just in complete disbelief and complete shock. Um, but none of us had any relationship to him or had known him or had our lives cross paths with him other than being so close to the university campus. Um, and so I guess it, it goes to, I should say that he, after his last victim body was found he was at large for nine months so that was 13 months after my attack and he was not captured until november of the following year my attack was in october and he was not captured by the renal police until november of the following year and then after that he 
would go on to be tried and convicted. And he's currently sitting on death row now in Nevada while he's serving four consecutive life sentences, which also makes my case extremely atypical because I never have to worry about my rapist walking the streets again. And you never hear that. You never, um, of all the women that I have met who have endured uh, the justice system, as it is, uh, they all struggle with knowing that at some point their rapist is going to walk the streets again because they get out on probation and then they have parole and um, and whatnot. And the the sentences are never served. Like what is given to them is never served fully. They always get out early. It seems like at least for everyone that I know. Well, listen. I mean, I I, I think that. First of all, um, it's interesting you say that most vic- most uh, sexual assaulted victims, um, their perpetrators are actually out within a couple of months. And here you are in a situation where this guy committed murder and clearly he's behind bars for life. That yeah. feeling, I, I, I don't know what that feeling is to know. You would feel like there's a sense of injustice. I'm assuming half of these women that you've met feel like there's an injustice. How can you let someone that took something from me live and, and be out there in the world? And you never know, you know, you never know where that person is going to go. But the, just the thought of that, there was like an injustice done to you. But that feeling to know that you're, 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 the person that assaulted you is out there. I couldn't, I couldn't live. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Here's what I want to know. So after this happened to you, what would happen after that? Um, so it's, it's so important to remember that it's so nuanced, right? And everyone responds so differently, even if we can think up scenarios in our minds and think of what we would do if we run into this situation. But the reality is, is that you don't really know how you're going to respond until you're living it. And uh, for me right away after I did the one thing that I said I would never ever do. And I took a shower because I didn't want my body to be a crime scene. And so I did not report it initially, which is like, I, I go into more detail in my book about all of that. But, um, I, and then I had, I woke up the next morning and I had dissociative amnesia, which I later found out is very common for sexual assault survivors to endure where I woke up. And I really truly believed that I had had the worst nightmare of my life. And I didn't believe, or I didn't clearly remember what had happened and I didn't remember until I went back to the parking garage and my senses were just like overloaded and inundated. Um, and so once I remembered, it was just, I, there's no way of getting around it that my soul was murdered that night. Like there's no me going back to who I was becoming at that moment who I was becoming and what, like there was this massive collision inside of me. And, um, it, it, I had to kind of figure out how to navigate soul murder. Um, and, and so I, I did the best I could to not give that man any more control over my life. And I continued putting one foot in front of the other. And I think onlookers probably, 
who maybe knew what was going on. And then as I became more public of what had happened to me, um, I was just such a survivor to them because I got married seven months after I was attacked. And then I, st- I went on to, to have a family and I, it took me longer to graduate college. It took me six years instead of four because um, I had to slow down a lot and just take classes as I could and um, address like the PTSD mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. And so people were really kind of championing me as a survivor. And I hated that word because I was left alive. I survived in the sense that I was still existing. But the reality was, is that I was just going through the motions and I wasn't really enjoying all that life had for me. And I didn't really know how either or know that it was possible. And it wasn't until shortly after, um, after the trial, when I was at that point, I was 24, um, about to turn 25. And I seemingly had a lot of life ahead of me and I just didn't want to spend my life as a ball on the couch and um, with like a fake smile. I wanted to enjoy life again. And I wanted to really reclaim my life and really live an abundant life. And I just didn't know at the time if it was even possible to do that, but I was determined to try to figure out how. Um, And so that's really like, I guess the crux of, of my book of, of just walking that journey and um, giving people that hope and knowing that it is possible. It's exhausting, but it's, it's completely possible to, to live a full life after surviving such trauma. Yeah. And that actually, that leads me to my next question, which um, I mean, this is very individual for everybody, but could you please share with us, what the biggest help to you was in your healing journey Mm -hmm. and what is it that helped you to move forward and still find, you know, whatever it is that moves you still and has you live a fulfilling life. I'm hoping you are living a fulfilling life. I understand you have family and your husband, but what is it that made you come out of that victim mentality and see the light and pushed you forward to see that, you know, overcoming that is possible? Yeah, I think um, for me, like you said, it is very individual. And for me, there's no way around that my faith played a very big part in that and leaning into um, my relationship with God and with Jesus and allowing, like, leaning into scripture and allowing um, that to speak and kind of wash over me. And, And in that, I found that I need four things on a regular basis to be able to, to really live a full life. And, um, it's so my backbone, which is my faith in the Lord, my rib cage, which is my community. Like they, your rib cage is charged with protecting your vital organs and having a strong inner circle is so important to have people that'll speak truth into you and meet you where you're at is invaluable. Um, learning to laugh again was really important and having a funny bone because laughter is such good medicine for the soul and learning to not take myself so seriously was really important. And then, um, 
really like the crux of it was finding my what now, shifting my mindset from why me, because it's so easy to get, it was so easy for me to get stuck on that. Why me? Mm -hmm. Why was I there? Why, why did he pick me? You know, just all of that, but switching it from why me to what now, because storms of life are inevitable. We're all going to face them. And because this life is messy and it's hard and it's difficult and we have broken people in this world that we're all going to encounter. And so the, the, what now, what am I going to do now with this is what gives me the resolve to continue pushing through the darkness when those really hard seasons come back around. And sometimes my what now is I'm going to wake up this morning and I'm going to be as present as possible for my children and for my husband. And then other times it's, I'm going to write a book, (laughs) which is really a huge insurmountable task. And not everyone is going to have a what now like mine, but just even having like the smallest acknowledging and reclaiming the smallest victory in our lives is so important. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I know you mentioned that you got married seven months after Mm -hmm. the incident. Uh, Now I'm going to be very honest. Um, How are you intimate with your husband after surviving such a brutal attack? In other words, how is your sex life? And, And I'm asking this question because I'm I'm sure you yeah. can agree that we need to be having open conversations about what is a healthy sex and what is the misconception Absolutely. that that rape is that rape is sex you know needs to be addressed you know I, that's what I feel. No, absolutely, I agree with you one hundred percent, and I um, am thankful that you're willing to ask me this question because I often get kind of asked like privately because people don't want to offend me or they don't want to. Um, you know, like step on toes or anything, but I'm pretty open uh, about it. And so I, I think you hit the nail on the head is that, um, rape is not sex. Mm -hmm. And there's this huge misconception that even when my assault was reported, they would say he forced her to have sex and it just graded me like sandpaper because I did not have sex with that man. I did not willingly give myself and make myself vulnerable for that man. What he did to me was all about violence and control and dehumanizing me. And um, I think that as a society, we need to recognize that and have open conversation about what that is. And we need to be teaching young people and having a conversation about what healthy sex looks like and what consent really is Mm -hmm. because there's a handful of women that I've talked to where they don't know if they were really raped or not. And they tell me, well, I didn't, I didn't say yes, but I didn't say no. And because they froze and they were scared and they didn't know that they had that option to say, Hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Like we need, we need to stop because I don't want to go any further. And so my sex life with my husband has been, um, to be honest, I mean, I think that we've been married for 15 years now and I would say that it's, thank you. I would say that my sex life with my husband is healthy and enjoyable. We enjoy each other. We enjoy being vulnerable and open with each other. And it took getting, 
um, communicating and getting to know each other in that way. And I think I was just very blessed with a very clear understanding that what happened to me was not sex. It was the vehicle for which he used to be for violence and control, but it was not, that was not sex. That was not how it was designed and intended to be. Thank you for that. I have to say, uh, sorry, Romeo, I didn't mean to cut you off, but this is just something that, I mean, I have to say that um, I find it really admirable and wise of you to be able to make that distinction after, Mm -hmm. you know, such an impactful event and to be able to draw the line between what happened to you in this particular situation and not bring it into your personal relationship with your husband and, you know, see these nuanced differences between these things, because maybe many people, and once again, everybody is very individual, but many people struggle with that, right? After, Mm -hmm. you know, such an impactful event, a lot of women are not able to be physical at all. And I think the fact that you were able to distinguish these two things, you know, speaks to an internal wisdom. And I find it incredibly admirable that you, you know, I mean, obviously, with all the pain that you've gone through and all the processing, but you still, you know, uh, you refused to become a complete victim of this experience. And you treated it for exactly, you know, what it was in the moment, as much as it was unjust that it happened to you. But the fact that you didn't fall into the rumination of why me and, you know, dwell in that and you realize that still what is important and what happened is what happens to you now and that your past does not have to dictate how you live your life. I think your story has, you know, incredible meaning for people who are going through this and that there is hope and that really is about your mindset and how you choose to view everything that happens to you in your life um, and what meaning you give it essentially is really that is your internal power that anybody can offend you or anybody can be awful to you. But then in the end, it is your choice because the power is always with you, how you treat it and how you go about it. And if you just stay attuned to that, you can process everything that happens to you, any kind of trauma a lot quicker and still find joy and meaning. And I mean, I have to give it to you. I think you're incredibly strong and just innately wise. And, you know, I hope that people listening to this can find, you know, in your example, solace and hope, and just realize that the power is still always in them, no matter what it is that is happening to them from the outside, it is within you to, you know, find that and move forward and that it is always there. It's just a matter of how you view the situation and how much power you give your offender And that really is the key to this. And I, you know, I mean, thank you for sharing all of this. I think it's a really important story to share. And just your angle is, I think, very helpful and can be very helpful to people who are learning how to, you know, move on and walk through similar things. So thank you very much for sharing this. Well said, Maria. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I really do like just thank you for giving me the opportunity and I I think too I just want to encourage people that it's messy it doesn't look pretty like ever um 
I'm still just figuring it out day by day as we go about and as new layers of healing um, get peeled back because it is lifelong. And I just, I want to encourage people to know that if you feel like you're walking around the same mountain, you're still making progress. We're still going up, so to speak, but um, just, it's okay to sit back too and acknowledge what, how far you've come between I, the event and where you're at. I, I really, I really love that you found faith in, in God. I'm, I'm a person of faith. Um, and I, yeah, me too. I, I really, really love that you found, you, you found, you found God and, and most importantly, you know, in these situations, when, when bad things do happen, those are terrible things. It's very, very easy for humans to blame God for abandoning mm-hmm. them, for being here, for not being there. Why, you know, the why me, why did this happen? I hate you. I hate life. I have no faith. Like I hate the world. I'm not, I'm, I don't trust people anymore. People are evil. You can see the world very dark. You know, it, you, I mean, you will see the world. Yeah. You will see how terrible man can be. And we've seen that, you know, throughout history and what happened to you. But what I want to know is in your experience, you mentioned that you, you know, you, your soul died. And what I want to know is, is emotional soul healing possible after rape? Yeah, I think that I'm a living, like walking testimony that it is, it is possible. Um, it, it, again, is messy. Like I've, you know, I've said a couple of times today that it, it is messy, but it is possible and it takes effort. It doesn't just happen. It takes um, commitment and continuing to be resolved in that because it's so easy to to spiral into the why me and, you know, right. like God abandoned me. And But holding on to the truths of the Bible is so important and looking 100%. at the stories throughout scripture and, and remembering that he uses all things for our good. And it may not be the good that I think I need, but it's the good for my eternal soul. It's the good for my life here and shaping me and forming me into who I need to be or who he has created me to be. And then acknowledging too, that God didn't rejoice when that happened to me, he was there with me weeping and crying, but we're also given free will in this world. And so we, um, that means that we also have the consequence of other people's free will done to us at times also. Um, and so that is a very long winded way of saying, yes, healing is possible. It is lifelong. I do think that I will be completely restored when I'm face to face with Jesus. But in the meantime, he's using it to, I have gained an incredible amount of empathy for people. I have gained an incredible insight into God's heart for the brokenhearted and um, wanting to walk alongside people well as they are struggling through trauma as well. And we all need people like that in our lives when the rubber hits the road for lack of better terms. Well, may you continue to be a light and bring others closer 
through your survival story, bring others closer to God. Because I, I mean, we all need God in our life. Let's just be honest. But that show's not about that. The show's really about about you and you telling your your, your survival story and and really how I love how you really found faith. I really, I just want to say that I really commend you and it's very admirable. Um, I, w- I really want to know, was it difficult to tell your story so candidly and beyond survival? Um, in my book, yeah, it took a long time because it, I'm very raw and honest about my reactions and about my initial responses and just about the whole journey. And I really did that so that other survivors could know that they're not alone. And so that the loved ones who tend to be the collateral, the unspoken collateral damage, um, can know how to effectively walk alongside us and love us well in that. Um, but it, was nothing less than a labor of love, I guess, my book. Um, and it it required times for me to pause and go back to therapy. Like, ooh, you know wow. what? This is stinking a lot harder than I than maybe it should. And maybe I really haven't addressed this aspect of my healing to the extent that I thought I had. And so I just need to pause this right now and I, I need to go talk to somebody and um figure this out before I go back. And I did that so that I could be continue to be emotionally present for my family. Cause it would have been a lot easier just to kind of close off and shut down in the midst of it. Um, as I was writing it, but it was, um, it was not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And, and truly I can say like, it was all by the grace of God that I was able to finish it and to finish it to the extent that I was able to. I, th- I think it's, I think uh, hearing this, I think it's wonderful that the, the beauty of what, what you writing your beyond survival helped you. It was, it was a component of therapy by you writing mm-hmm. it, it. It pushed you in the direction that you need to be pushed yeah. Because you said yourself, I was writing and you had to stop and then you had to go back to therapy and then continue. It's, it, it's, it helped. It, it really did help you. And, uh, that's yeah. amazing. I mean, who can say that really? I mean, I don't know anybody out there that says, Oh, you know, writing a book, helped me answer these questions. And some people, like you said, you can just brush it off and just continue and write and, and, and just, you know, be very not present in general. Um, what is one bit of advice you would tell someone who experiences rape? Oh man, one bit of advice, huh? Just one. Well, <laughs> um, advice in general. Or anything, anything that you yeah. would like to say, really. Um, gosh. But though it is a defining moment in your life, it doesn't have to define you that we're not the sum of what's been done to us. That's not your identity. Your identity is whatever your name is and who you are and what you've created to be, but it's not, it's not what somebody did to you. Um, so that would be, I guess, my advice. And the biggest thing is in case they've never been told in their lives that it was not their fault no matter what the circumstances were surrounding their assault, it 100% was not their fault. 
and they don't need to carry that guilt anymore if they have been carrying it at all. Thank you. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, follow you, or, or just get in contact with you, first, how do we get in contact with you? That's what we want, people want to know. Yeah, um, you can email me at acj at amandacollinsjohnson.com. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook with my nonprofit, which I did not get into, but that's like, it's so hard to touch everything, right? That we do. Well, you can come, and, you're, you're more than welcome to come back on the show and talk about your nonprofit. If it's if they're awesome. connected. <clears throat> okay. But it's, um, if you look at up tier speak, Oh seven, just spell it all out tier speak. Oh seven. Um, that's how you could find me on Facebook and Instagram. And then, or email me and I can send you, if you want to put the, my email in the show notes or anything like that people, that would be great. Okay. Awesome. Now, if, how do we get a hold of your book for those that really want to, want to read, uh, beyond survival, I'm assuming it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all, all platforms. So it will be published at the end of October. We're just like, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So it will be, um, if they want to pre-order though, I can send you the link for that to be able to pre-order it directly from the publisher. And then once it hits the press, they will get a copy sent directly to them. Nice. Okay. So right now it's not available. Is it available for pre-order only through the publisher you said? It is. It is available for pre-order only for that. Yeah. But it'll be, I mean, we're like six weeks away from publishing. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, I have to get my copy. I really have to get my copy. A signed copy, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would love to send you a signed copy. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Amanda, it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for sharing your story. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for today. We are your hosts, Romeo. And Maria. Till next time. Bye.